0: So, yes, I'm. I'm have been really excited about this discussion for a while because it's one of those things, you know, road closures, um, cycle lanes, traffic, things that seem to be not necessarily part of the mundane everyday, but certainly not, you know, certainly not the kind of issues that hit the headlines. And yet, this discussion has become um, in- incredibly tense, incredibly divided, and actually very important. Um, in terms of people really seem to want to talk about it, it really matters. So it's not just a case of uh, something that you might complain to the council about. It's the, the issue of who owns our streets has become much bigger than a practical one. And so uh in, in keeping with the Academy of Ideas tradition, we decided that this was a public debate that wasn't necessarily being had in public. It was being had on social media. It was being uh, people were writing lots of articles about it, but there wasn't necessarily um, a mass public forum for it. And so that's why we decided to do that. And this is what we do. Um, I'm now going to plug us because if you have joined our zoom events over the last year, you'll know that throughout the pandemic, we decided to put on public events, public lectures, discussions, book clubs, salons, uh, all for free. Um, And None of us have been on furlough for the last year and a bit now throughout the pandemic we've been working on. So I know a lot of people aren't in the position um, these days financially to help. But if you are, um, then my colleague Alistair will share the link to support us um, with anything big or small um, in the chat. But also, uh, perhaps more importantly, there is an option if you follow that link to support the Academy of of Ideas in a different way, which is to become an AOI associate, which means signing up to um, get lots of info before anyone else from us, especially with the fantastic news that the Battle of Ideas 2021 is going to be happening in uh, in the autumn of this year. Uh, Signing up to become an AI associate gives you uh, kind of behind the scenes, exclusive access to lots of things relating to that festival. And it's also a way to keep in touch with us uh, and show your support. So if you can, that would be really great. I'll also do one tiny little plug before we get going, which is that um, some of you on here may know that as well as uh, creating online forums uh, for discussion, we've also decided to branch out this year into publishing pamphlets. And Letters on Liberty is the Academy of Ideas, modest attempt to follow in the footsteps of the radical pamphleteers that came before us and in particular the three that are coming out in the next few weeks one of them by Austin Williams is going to be touching on all things related to green issues, development, uh, environmentalism and I I bet a lot of the subject matter that we're going to talk about tonight so Letters on Liberty, uh, I think they're about two pounds or they're three for a fiver or they're also available free online. But go to our website and check them out. Um, And they're a really good resource to have and actually a very nice collector's item because they're designed by Jan Bowman, who's a wonderful artist. So that's my plugs over uh, now to get stuck into tonight's debate. And I was really keen to make sure that this wasn't just a London centric thing. Um, And I know that Bath isn't exactly hugely diverse from London, but I was. Sort of half pleased to uh read the news that they are now uh, i think it was on monday bringing in the first measures of their clean air zones which means that this this discussion about changing neighborhoods uh chain politics changing to fit a climate friendly agenda or climate friendly policies being brought in It's certainly not something that's just happening in the remit of the ULES in London, where I'm living, but there are also suggestions of rolling this out all in all parts of the country. And I really want tonight for this debate to not be hemmed into um, anyone's locality, though obviously I really want to hear what people's uh, experiences are from their own own streets, but to ask bigger questions about, you know, uh, asking these funny things that some people have uh, already raised on Twitter about this debate, you know, causing problems about the fact that some of our speakers are anti-LTN or pro-LTN. The 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 issue here is in the abstract, asking the question of who owns our streets. Never mind if you think you've got a problem with cycle lanes, but you but you do like LTNs. It's the question of well, who gets to decide who makes these changes in our neighbourhoods? Is there proper consultation? What's the role of democracy in all of this? Uh, and there's some been some fantastic research done into this, really interesting about whether or not. Uh, You know, this is decisions about low traffic neighborhoods or uses are made on the basis of income or made on the basis of, you know, what benefits particular people in those streets, all of those questions. And and as the slogan for the Battle of Ideas and the Academy of Ideas is free speech allowed. So we really want to hear from you. But first, we will hear from our fantastic panel, who I will briefly introduce um, in the order that they'll speak. So first, we have Rita Krishna. Uh, who was a labor councillor and the cabinet member the cabinet member for children's services for nine years in Hackney um, and her street became part of a controlled parking zone um, and re- which was close to three traffic and she wrote to me that she felt very privileged to live in what would now be called a low traffic neighborhood and her main mode of transport is the bicycle and Reed's got very interesting views as I said, in relation to having problems with some things like cycle lanes and having a a quite a nuanced position when it comes to the ways in which we implement uh, green initiatives and neighborhoods. So welcome, Rita. Thank you for being with us. Next up, we have Daniel Moylan. Uh, Lord Moylan. Lord Moylan is a Conservative peer and he has been involved in London and national politics since the early 1990s, uh, at various times being a councillor in Kensington and Chelsea, an officer of London Councils, a co-founder and co-chairman of Urban Design London, which is a non-profit making association of planning, design and transport Professionals. Uh, He was also deputy chairman of Transport for London under Boris Johnson, as well as an advisor to the mayor on various transport projects between 2008 and 2016, and he's been involved in. Crossrail and various other projects I mean in terms of uh, it's needless to say needless to say that he knows a thing or two about transport so welcome Daniel and thank you very much for being with us. Next up we have Rebecca Kelly who is a, spe- a special educational needs coordinator and an early years practitioner um she most importantly for this panel she's the organizer of We Are Islington which is a campaign group uh, that primarily has begun on kind of Facebook and social media, um, but that has organized online and offline to discuss and campaign around what they see as the problems that that residents have raised about low traffic neighborhoods. Um, She's told me that she doesn't own a car, she doesn't drive, um, but that she's keen to state this isn't necessarily about cars, it's about a wider question of um, how decisions are made in neighborhoods and whether or not they are made with proper consultation for residents. So welcome Rebecca. Next up we have Emma Richman uh, who is currently the Executive Director of Operations at Peaks and Plains Housing Trust. Uh, She's a qualified architect and a building surveyor and she is currently a trustee uh, on the committee of the Pankhurst Centre in Manchester and she's worked in social housing for over 25 years and is very passionate about communities. And Emma is also a keen cyclist and comes to that from that particular point of view. I actually think most of our panel are keen cyclists. Um, So we're definitely well represented on that front. And then last but not least, we have Niall Crowley who I saw cycling in Victoria Park the other day. He is a designer, writer and former East End pub landlord who was at the front line of Hackney's gentrification when in 2002, he opened the Eclipse a fashionable bar that brought cocktails and cappuccinos to the once infam- infamous Murder Mile. Uh, he also used to sing uh, second tenor in the amateur chorus of both Birmingham and Midland Opera companies and self-identifies as a northern soul loving West Brom fan. Uh, but most importantly for tonight's debate, all of that though interesting as it is, he is the prospective counsellor for Hoxton East and Shoreditch and an organiser of horrendous Hackney road closures. Um, so Niall is running for, uh, running for a vote and is, uh, as, as well as We Are Islington, Horrendous Hackney Road Closures, our campaign group mainly based online, but also who have done a couple of offline protests throughout the pandemic um, involving cabbages, which maybe he'll talk about, um, against low traffic neighbourhoods. So that's our panel. Uh, welcome to all of them. And what we're going to do is to give them about three minutes through to five minutes um, each to speak. And I'll be quite tight with those timings. And then we're gonna come straight out to you guys to see what you think. So Rita, I'm starting with you, if that's all right. And uh, just a note to everyone that I like to keep a rather authoritarian control over the mute button on these things, because I live in fear of Zoom bombings. So I'm gonna unmute all of you uh, at any point. So Rita, over to you for your opening thoughts.
1: Uh, thank you very much um, for that introduction, Ella, um, and thanks to the Academy for inviting me to be part of this panel. I'm really pleased to be here. Um, your, notwithstanding your introduction, though, I should, point, I should say that I am focusing, essentially, rather narrowly to begin with anyway, and I'd like you to give me five minutes if you possibly could. Okay? Um, so, um, I, so I'm speaking from the perspective of London um, and as a former councillor of a borough that pre-pandemic had some of the highest cycling rates in London by a very long way. And we achieved it by without tracks or cycle lanes, but by a basket of other measures, some of which I may get a chance to speak about, I suppose, later on. But in my initial five minutes, what I wanted to touch on was three things. Um, And as I say, in spite of Ella's injunction, I'm going to say that I'm in favor of low traffic neighborhoods. Um, I see them as an adjunct to other measures to manage streets. Um, just one tool among many measures, and the streets do need to be managed. I think that's one of my, one of my key points, and ideally seeking a better balance between the various modes of transport. Um, low traffic neighbourhoods are not, are not a new idea. We have five in Hackney, which predate any schemes in Waltham Forest, which tends to be the sort of poster child of LTNs. Our LTNs, which are area-wide schemes, include several filters Um, and they contribute to the 130 or so filters which we already have in Hackney. Filters, typically bollards, but also recently planters, which close roads to through traffic but improve conditions for walking and cycling. Prior to the pandemic, however, these areas have typically been defined and measures put in incrementally and never in the number or at the pace at which we have seen them put in recently. I think most people who live in low-traffic neighbourhoods will say, and I certainly say, that reducing the numbers of passing motor vehicles improves your quality of life. There's less noise pollution and the roads undoubtedly are and feel safer. But whatever the associated rhetoric, there can be little doubt that the rapid implementation of these schemes has diverted vehicles onto the main roads. But that said, I believe that rather than trying to remove the LTNs, the aim should be to achieve some of the similar benefits for people who may live on main roads. And this brings me to my second point, that there are too many cars in London. Although the pandemic has seen a drop in population in inner London, the population of London is trending upwards and I believe we should and we could reduce the cars in London. So recent studies do suggest that young people are less enamoured of private motor vehicles than preceding generations, and that is cause for hope. In terms of reducing cars, we also have evidence from the introduction of the congestion charge a while ago, which was very effective initially at reducing cars coming into central London. And incidentally, the congestion charge also saw a really big uptick in numbers of people cycling. So I do advocate measures to reduce cars, particularly private cars in London, not all cars. In fact, I propose increasing the numbers of car club cars. Car clubs are a shared resource and represent an excellent compromise, given that there are times when you might need a car. But there simply are more private cars in London than is fair. Uh, Fewer cars, better quality of life, including on the main roads. My third point actually concerns community campaigning, and we have What are clearly some excellent campaigners on the panel tonight, Uh, were it not for community campaigns, the M11 link road would have come all the way into Hackney, funneling traffic through Hackney from the M11 to the rest of London and reducing our quality of life. But my question would be, are LTNs the best target for community campaigns? Cycle lanes have been put in across London reducing network capacity and often replacing bus lanes forcing buses into the general traffic. Being in general traffic not only makes journey times for bus users longer but makes buses less reliable which in turn deters people from using them. Buses in general traffic speaks to my too many cars point but in addition bus stop bypasses which are part of the paraphernalia of infrastructure introduced that have been brought in with cycle lanes and they mean that bus passengers are made to wait on the often very narrow strip of remaining bus stop when they descend bus users are at risk from oncoming bicycles and blind people in particular find bus stop bypasses immensely difficult and all for what There's been a negligible increase in the numbers of people cycling, broadly tracking population growth in London, while making other modes less attractive, particularly the bus. So to conclude, Ella, yes to LTNs. They are in as a trial in many boroughs, but I experienced the benefits myself and would like to extend these to more people. We need to reduce the number of cars to secure some similar quality of life benefits for people on main roads, and we need lots of community campaigning. But personally, I would advocate a different target. So thank you. Those are my five minutes. Thank
0: you, thank you very much, Rita. That was a really great start. Particularly, I mean, the line that our streets need to be managed is, is key to this debate. I mean, and the question is, who manages them? So thank you very much for beginning us with those thoughts. Right, uh, Daniel, over to you uh, for your opening thoughts when you're ready.
2: Okay, hi. Um, I've got lots of controversial things to state, but I'm going to start by being really, really boring and trying to give an answer to the question, who owns the streets? Legally, who actually owns the streets? Because a lot of people don't really understand the relationship that exists between local authorities and communities and the streets in legal terms. It's easy to think that the local highways authority, which is normally your local council or in some places a county council, owns the streets, they don't. Uh, in most cases, if you think about the street with a row of houses down both sides of it, it's actually the frontages who own the street up to the center line drawn between their houses. What the council does is under, a stat, under a, an act of parliament is that they adopt the streets. When they adopt the streets, a number of things happen. First of all, it becomes public highway, public highway. That means the public have the right to go to and fro, and normally that includes in their cars. The council also, the Local Highways Authority, also takes on responsibility for the maintenance of the streets and normally for street lighting. If it has street lighting, they will do the street lighting as well. So they've got all sorts of wide-ranging powers in in statute over the streets, but they are not the powers of ownership. I mean, if the council really owned the street, it could apply, let's say there was a part of the street which it didn't need for traffic. It could apply for planning permission to build houses on it like any other landowner, but councils can't do that. What the council does own was decided in a very famous but very obscure judgment by Lord Denning several decades ago when he declared that the local highways authority only owned the top two spits of the highway. Now, nobody actually knows what the top two spits are. Spits is an archaic term for spades, uh, but most people take it to mean the tarmac and the paving stones and the base of the road. The council owns those, and it could take them away if it wanted. But below that, the local highways authority has no ownership rights, unless of course it is itself a frontager or the road has been laid on land actually owned by the council. Now, is this adoption permanent? No. The frontagers can ask the local highways authorities to de-adopt the road. This is called stopping up. There's a statutory process for doing this. Most councils say no if you ask them. But if they agree, what happens is that the street reverts to private ownership, the frontagers have the maintenance and the lighting responsibility, And of course it ceases to be public highways. So you can put a gate at the end of it if you want. Now, the reason I bring this up is I think there were a couple of moral lessons in this. The first is that something which is maintained at public expense for public benefit is genuinely and should genuinely be accessible to the public. It shouldn't be something which frontages can somehow privatize uh, and still have the taxpayer pay for its maintenance. As I say, if the frontages do want to privatize it, they can, they can ask for it to be stopped up and then they will privately own it and nobody else can interfere with them. That's absolutely fine. But if they're gonna have all the benefits of having effectively a private road, but still have it on the taxpayer, there's an unfairness, there's an inequity about that. The second thing is, it's worth remembering this because we often think that we're powerless in the face of local highways authorities that they can just tell us. But in fact, always remember, we have got rights as well uh, over that highway. It's not their ownership, it's ours. And we should insist on having a say. Now, that's why, and I think nearly everybody in this conversation is gonna agree with this point. Certainly everybody with local government experience That's why, at the very least, consultation is so crucial to any form of change that you're going to make in the highway, frankly. And it's normally required by law, and the government was very foolish um, in dispensing with the need for that consultation as it drove these schemes through last year, rather cynically exploiting the pandemic, which is really what, in effect, was happening. And um, and so there was no consultation. And the reason for that is that the people involved in doing it have no experience of local government. I know who they are, and I know exactly what their experience is. And they've never ever actually had to deal with real people face to face, talking about the sorts of issues that local councillors have to talk about, which are both quite nitty gritty and boring on the one hand, but sometimes intensely sensitive and personal to people in their own lives on the other.
0: Last minute, Daniel.
2: I'm nearly there. If they'd had that experience, they would have known the crucial importance of detailed local consultation. There are other things I'd like to talk about. I think what Rita said was absolutely very, very interesting. I had my own solution to the sort of approach she wanted, which was a more libertarian approach towards, towards shared space, which meant actually not managing the streets at all because um, I don't actually agree that they need to be managed. And maybe we'll come to that in question, uh, in questions. And I also want to say something about safety, because I think the absence of cars very often reduces safety because it reduces overlooking, it reduces the sense of safety on the street. But anyway, very happy to deal with other points that come up in questions. Thanks, Ella.
0: That's brilliant. Thanks very much, Daniel. Um, some great opening thoughts there. Okay, we'll head uh, straight over to Rebecca now. Uh, Rebecca Kelly from We Are Islington for your opening thoughts.
3: Hello, thanks for having me, thanks for hosting. Um, I joined this um, anti-LTN campaign in July last year when the council thrust a leaflet through my door notifying me of the people-friendly street scheme being implemented in my neighbourhood in the next two weeks. Now, I'm not a driver, I'm a keen cyclist, And I walk everywhere and I was just gobsmacked uh, that this was the first I was hearing about it. And I was not given any right to reply. I was given a farce of an engagement tool called the Commonplace app, uh, where anybody from anywhere in the country and beyond was able to register their views on what was happening in my community. As I spent um, a few months of the year lockdown in my home, the early part of last year, the neighborhood had united during this time. Offering assistance to one another and clapping them for carers on our doorsteps. I began talking to my neighbours about the and the wider community about what was happening. And my initial shock turned into anger and outrage as I listened to those that uh welcomed the new scheme and those that would be disproportionately affected. A united community was now divided with bollards, pitting young against old, fit against healthy, uh, to set and. Uh, sorry, young gets old, fit against healthy and disabled and vulnerable, and the working from home trendies against working class families. I wondered how the council could get away with making major changes without any consultation, and if they can do this, what would be next? I began campaigning against the selfish ideologies that the council would be imposing on us. I attended a protest outside Islington Town Hall last July, followed by nine other protests on the streets of Islington, and the council did not give a damn. They didn't care about any concerns of safety, they didn't care about the effects on small businesses or self-employed. They didn't care about countless testimonials from disabled or elderly people or how services to residents may be affected. I learned that our labor-led council have, that plea poverty and blame central government for austerity have spent one and a half million pounds on these schemes, and they've received less than 300,000 from central government and have also pledged another six million from the 21 to 22 budget on a trial. It's an experiment, uh, a, a experimental traffic scheme that um, must have a full evaluation of data and a full public consultation at the end of the trial. I've challenged the council on how this data can be accurate because there's no evidence of an air quality monitoring before lockdown, and we are yet to see the effects on our roads until we emerge from normal life after the pandemic. Uh, Car counting devices have only been laid in my LTN during full lockdown periods, so it feels like the data is skewed to suit the council's agenda. Our public consultation is likely to be online and it excludes the digitally enabled or those in BME communities that require communication in other languages. And consultation will again be open to anybody that wishes to support or reject these schemes. Leaving it open to be hijacked by militant cycle lobbies, as they did on the Commonplace app. that's run by sush with loaded questions, and it leaves it very difficult for users to leave negative feedback. LTNs have had a profound effect on my borough, now hung in a noose of pollution with gridlocked main roads and ghost neighbourhoods. Council have created cells, which in the definition is to incarcerate people, to take away people's right of choice and disregard those without any choice. While the council dictates to residents, taxpayers, what is or is not an essential journey. It's not their It's not their place to say. Thanks, Ella.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Rebecca, for that. That's great. Okay, we'll head straight over to Emma Richmond now for your opening thoughts.
4: Good evening, everybody. Um, I'm a very proud Mancunian, so I'm going to give you a little bit of what's going on in my area of of the country and then my thoughts. So I've worked with communities as part of my job for over 25 years and in Greater Manchester, LTNs were developed in the 1990s and I was involved in actually creating some of them that are going really well now in the south of the city and we call them home zones. But GM now has got a focus um, on on this again, and they're looking at a scheme um, in conjunction with Transport for Greater Manchester at 10 low-traffic neighbourhoods. And this is linked to an active neighbourhoods project prioritising movement and health and safety of people over cars. The key, as a few of the other speakers have said, is, is timely community engagement. Part of the plan is also called the B project and it's looking at a 10-year plan to improve cycling networks and Chris Boardman is the cycling and walking commissioner for Greater Manchester and he says over the last decade traffic journeys on residential streets has risen by 45% 5 million more miles every year are being driven by people's front doors and that's not on This whole approach is championed by Greater Manchester's mayor and his fund supports the project. So people who tend to live in these TLNs are generally um, have better air quality, as been said, and are able to embrace positive life choices. This enables people to be more active and boost physical and mental resilience. But I think the solution is, is lots of different things. I think that the community having proper support and proper consultation. I think better public transport options. London has Crossrail. We have Northern Fail. We also need better public transports that's more that's frequent and affordable. Um, the government announced this week three billion pounds to support a new transport, um, you know, fund. Will Greater Manchester see any of that? But also cycling is great and I think the wider thing with cycling is we need support from employers we need support from um, making it easy and more accessible for people not everybody's a great amazing cyclist and what really helped me was having an employer that had really good changing facilities and transport for greater Manchester really helped the route that you were going to do and I think that we should be encouraging walking school buses and making them mandatory but we are at the moment decarbonizing our homes and we've got strict strict car- targets to do that and also the rise of the electric vehicles so for me tlns are inevitable and we need to embrace the change
0: Brilliant, thanks very much, Emma. That was really interesting. Um, and threw out some, some really interesting things there, like what you would make mandatory and, and what needs consultation. So it's excellent for um, the audience to get their teeth into. Right, last but not least, we have Niall Crowley. Hello, everyone. Hi, Nile.
5: Okay, should we take advantage of the benefits of lower activity in cities and learn a lesson about what life could be like without cars? So that's the introductory text of tonight's discussion, and I thought I'd start there. It's a good question, um, and how great it would be if we, the public, had ever been asked or engaged in a serious dialogue about what kind of cities we want. But we never were. LTNs, roadblocks and cameras were dropped on us from a great height, as Mary Wakefield said in The Spectator recently. In late summer, with very little notice or consultation, a number of London councils simply closed residential streets across the city. I had no idea they could move so fast, she says. Some drivers still don't know what these things, these modal filters, road closures are, and drive on through, earning themselves an instant 130 pound fine, which is great for councils like Hackney, which has made around a million pound out of LTN cameras since the summer. What kind of city do we want after lockdown? One of the few benefits that we saw under the lockdown is how ordinary people pull together organised independent support networks to help elderly or medically vulnerable neighbours. What the imposition of LTNs and road closures does is the opposite of this, because they threaten to force many elderly and disabled residents into permanent isolation. And far from tapping into the community spirit and resourcefulness of residents, the whole policy is built on distrust of the citizen and is designed to disempower them. We are cast as irresponsible, rat runners, too lazy to walk or get on a bike. We're not to be trusted with the decisions as to whether our journeys are necessary or unnecessary. Our betters will decide that for us. The policy Implementation and the reality of LTNs is one of division and is acting against the potential for genuine community solidarity and cohesion. Older and long-term residents find themselves looking on as the neighbourhoods they grew up in are being completely reshaped, not for them, but for younger, more affluent and healthy citizens. I'm certain that many of the newer and younger residents don't want that any more than the older ones do but this stuff and the way it's being done is just driving people apart just look at the destructive wedge being driven between cyclists and motorists forget cycle lanes what's really made cycling in london so much better and safer over the last 20 years is drivers most london drivers are so much more aware and conscious of cyclists today yeah in demonizing motorists and doing doing it in the name of cyclists we put in all that we've learned Uh, all that we've achieved at risk. What kind of city do we want after lockdown? You can't impose community with policies and parklets. Strong communities are about people having a sense of purpose and control. The best and most vibrant communities are so often noisy, messy, chaotic, cars are neither here nor there in that. I was reminded of this a couple of weeks ago on a trip to Stamford Hill, home to one of Hackney's oldest and most famously close-knit communities. There's a very tangible sense of community life in the streets of Hill, Stamford Hill, Sorry, more than anywhere else I can think of in Hackney. The streets belong to the people, but it's full of cars and not a little bit crazy and chaotic, but that makes no difference because people make communities and sometimes in the strangest of places. A city is nothing without commercial life, And without citizens who have the freedom to choose how they do things, how they get around and organise their lives, freedom freedom of choice is not a licence for selfishness, but it does mean we need to be able to negotiate how we get along with one another and to be prepared to tolerate things we don't necessarily like or agree with. That's what life in a city is. And I think LTNs are driven by an intolerance of others. Finally, to sum up, We need to think less about active travel, which I think is code for telling people what's good for them and restricting their choices and more about how we encourage active citizens who participate and play a meaningful role in the decision-making of how our towns and cities are run. I think that's the key for building a healthy local democracy and vibrant community, thanks.
0: Brilliant! Thank you very much, Nile, and thanks to all the speakers for those opening thoughts. I'm going to come out to the audience now for questions. So, if you'd please like to start raising your hands uh, using the raise hand function, and um, we'll come out to you. I mean, there are there are so many things that have been thrown out by our speakers, but there are also things that we haven't addressed. So, for example, someone in the chat has raised the question of air pollution, which always uh, I find a very difficult one to debate because obviously um, it's a bit like I think what Nile has just sort of touched on. I think when you live in a city, Uh, You kind of make a you 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 weigh things up and you make a bit of a sacrifice because yes, London is, in certainly in places, particularly dirty and busy. uh, But I mean that's why I love it in part, and that's why I uh, you know choose to live here. Um, But also the you know the question of what you what you lose when you put in precautionary measures, but also what you you know what you lose when you don't put in precautionary measures. So the kind of weighing up game of the environment and climate change and all the kind of green initiatives on the one hand, and then perhaps you could say the authenticity of a city, as well as, as what some of the speakers have raised in terms of um, residents' ability to actually get around and get on. Uh, the only rules in this debate is that uh, you are polite and civil, but otherwise there's our, our slogan is free speech allowed. So please feel free to ask a question or just make a comment. You don't have to phrase your uh, contributions in terms of a question. Feel free to challenge our speakers and politely tell them that they're absolutely full of it, if you think that, or agree with them. Uh, So I'm gonna actually first come to Conrad, who is having some trouble raising his hand, but Conrad, I think I've unmuted you, go ahead.
6: Uh, Thank you very much. Um, I live in an LTN uh, in Ealing. I live in one of five LTNs in Ealing. And somebody said on the chat that LTNs do not block roads, all addresses are accessible. Yes, but I used to be able to use both ends of my street to get to my home. Um, Also, Rita said that it's not fair that some people have cars and some don't. Uh, And someone also said you could use that argument about waitrose. Some can afford to buy food there, some can't. Um, But that is by the by. Um, Living on an LTN is not right. It it doesn't feel right, uh, it doesn't feel safe, however many walkers and cyclists say it is safe. It is now uh, 7.38 and it's dark. I wouldn't like to go out on my road at the moment because there is much more chance of me being uh, attacked by somebody. Uh, I'm not making this up. Somebody was attacked two nights ago on the road above me in my LTN. Okay. The, uh, the last point you
0: got to keep it brief, Conrad. So just Yep. Make
6: it- okay. Um. And pollution-wise, um. LTNs don't stop pollution. They stop pollution in one one part of uh, a borough, and push all of that pollution onto the main roads,
0: mm-hmm.
6: where people still live, and usually less fortunate people or less affable people uh, live on main roads. And uh, it's not fair on them at all.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much. You see how tight I'm being with time because I know that we have a lot of people wanting to speak in the audience and I want to give everyone a chance. So I'm going to both be authoritarian with the unmute button and the timings. So let's go next to Helen. And just FYI speakers, I'm going to take about five or six people from the audience, something like that. And then I might come back to two or three of you and then we'll rotate. So just make notes and you can come back on whatever you like. So Helen Power next.
7: Hi. Hi. Hi, thank you. Um, yeah, I'm I'm based in Manchester, um, uh, where, and I'm actually based right now, where I'm sitting right now, is in an LTN. Um, so thank you very much to the panel, and, and for the Academy for convening this debate, which is much more even-handed, I think, than many of the debates that I've seen online. And online, the discussion's been very polarised. My reading for at least one of the reasons why that debate's been so polarised is because I think it, this debate exists at an intersection of two of the most important things that we as people who live in urban places are wrestling right now with right now, which is climate justice and social justice. And what I think has been missed in this debate and in the process of in- introducing LTMs in most cases, and that's even in those places where some form of consultation has been done, is the opportunity for us as communities to wrestle with the important issues that, are, that affect LTMs, those, those issues of gentrification, climate justice, all of those things are things that are vital to all of our communities. And we need to be able to collectively design solutions as opposed to having solutions imposed upon us. And so I'd be really interested to hear from the panel if anybody had any ideas about how that could be done more effectively either in the future or perhaps on those schemes that have already been induced, whether there are processes that they would recommend that could be done to to make that that thought process a bit more deeper for us all.
0: Brilliant, thank you very much, Helen, that's great. Um, Jodie, let's come to you next. I think, Jodie, you're from We Are Islington as well, so floor's yours.
8: Hello. Um, thank you for um, hosting this. It's um, been great. And um, thank you to all the speakers as well. So, yes, I am part of the uh, We Are Islington um, group, um, and I've been working alongside Rebecca and Niall, um, been one of the lead campaigners against this, um, the LTNs that have been... Um, imposed upon the people of London. Um, I'm going to be quite brief with it. And the point is that, as Rebecca said, we was all clapping for carers before during lockdown. It was all great. Then all of a sudden, it was like a major upheaval and roads were closed to not just residents, but to emergency services and every other kind of community facilities that need to use roads district nurses um, meals on wheels the bin lorries fire engines ambulances police etc it has created it has pushed traffic out we have had problems in islington where a road has been dug up for emergency roadworks that's fine because of the gas leak but because of the ltns in some of the areas where this roadworks were happening there was nowhere for the traffic to divert to which caused immense tailbacks, which affects bus journey times, um, people trying to get to work, you name it, school bus trips, um, people who go to luncheon clubs, elderly people go to luncheon clubs, they need to be picked up by a minibus, And we we have evidence that people have been told, so you can't come because we can't get to you. Um, it is a money-making scheme that has been imposed by councils under the guise of social distancing and COVID regulations and without consultation. Mm. And I, for a fact, know that when the Highbury LTN in Islington went live, there was cars driving down a normal road, which has got many odd restrictions on it, like give way to what other vehicles, et cetera. And then there was a junction, which as a driver, you'd be looking for any cars coming, not see the signs, over you go, £130 fine. I, rec- I was there for about an hour, we mm. worked out, we saved about, well, we prevented the council receiving f- £15,000 worth of, of penalty charge notices, to the extent that the council sent their own traffic wardens to this LTN in Highbury to advise drivers not to go through these restrictions, which is the mm. only place it's ever happened in Islington, mm. and it, to the extent that it got into the national press. So... It's- there is an underlying current, and the main thing is the lack of consultation. If you ask people, half the people in this group we might not be having this talk now. But when you don't ask people, I'm afraid you stir up people's anger. And the councils need to remember who is their boss. It is the voters. Okay. It is the people of the borough. Thank okay. you very much.
0: Thank you, Jodie. That's great and a very interesting question raised about the sort of the financial side of all of this. Um, right. Okay, we'll go to Shirley Laws next. Thank you. Um, okay, the, this
9: question: Who owns the streets? Well, I think I don't think anybody here, it, whichever you know side, if you want the discussion that you you would fall come down on. Um, I don't think anyone would disagree. There is a growing antipathy towards cars, and um, you know lots of very anti-car attitudes that we've had expressed here and elsewhere. Um, but I think. What has happened, the measures that have have been taken in various ways, um, LTNs and so on, has actually led to who owns the streets, a real blurring of confusion, a a blurring of distinctions and confusion about who owns the streets. Because when you think about some of the things, for example, I mean just a few examples, if you were in, and these are London examples, but I think one of, t- you know, some of them certainly apply elsewhere. Um, if you go in the area around South Kensington, for example, both cars and pedestrians are allowed around that area down from um, Exhibition Road, um, which, uh, you know, I, I think makes <laughs> makes it much more dangerous. Um, and I think a lot of other measures of, of make. Um, the local communities more dangerous, whether it's um, creating play streets for two afternoons a week or, you know, over the weekend. Um, That I think then makes it quite difficult for little children to understand whether a road is a road or a pavement's a pavement and understanding the distinctions. I think also um, the fact, for example, um, cyclists, I mean, I live near Regent's Canal, that is supposed to be a pedestrian place where cycling cycling is tolerated, but now it's a cyclist super highway. Really, um, play streets. I've said, uh, you know, I think there are other areas where, um, and, and even in in busy streets, I've, I've noticed pedestrians now sort of expect cars to slow down to just let them go across the road, rather than the idea that you know roads are for cars and pedestrians go on the pavement um, and, a, and a sort of a, an expression of really you know um pr- priority for pedestrians whether and, and cars literally, literally taking the back seat um, yeah. so i think there's a you... going on that are creating um confusion rather than actually helping a situation of, of making things you know work a little bit more um smoothly
0: and and less
9: dangerously
0: actually brilliant thanks Shirley and that's a great point to, for people to think about in relation to the differentiation between you know roads being for cars and pavements being for pedestrians although I say that as a horrendous jaywalker so it's a bit of hypocrisy there okay I'm going to take Mohammed and then we're going to come back to the panel um so Mohammed
10: hi uh, um thanks for organizing this and thanks to the speakers um just really just touching on what everyone said so far. Um, I got involved, funnily enough, well, not with LTNs, but some, some of the things with world closures five years ago. I come from a tenants and residents association background. And what I found is that these schemes, a lot of them are just recycled, repackaged ideas that were, you know, rubbished by residents a long time ago, at least in where I'm from in town Hamlets. Um, we have one called the Liverpool Street Scheme, Terhamnits is the most deprived borough, apparently. They've got 400 million in reserves, but they don't tell you that. Um, But they are rolling out these schemes and the people who designed them, the people who are the champions of these, they are not representative of the borough. I found that in whether you go to Islington or Hackney, it seems to be from one school of thought and one particular demographic of privileged individuals, whether they recognise their own privilege or not. Um, their parents might have been working class, but they most definitely are not. They don't recognize other people's realities. They see car bad, bike good, and that's it, it's black and white. LTNs, I'm sorry to say, in their current form, are the brainchild of utopianist, insular, privileged individuals who I've found really in the last year to be very distasteful people. You know, they when push comes to shove, they are venomous. I've found many of them, the way they've got, I know social media isn't a good place to rely on because people can rely on uh, things like uh, anonymity and things like that, but just vicious. We've seen closet racists come out of the closets. All kinds of things. I think what we really have to recognize is a lot of these councils, the way they've treated their communities, the people in their boroughs, the people, they've ignored people's realities. And the people that are pushing this are from a limited background, some of them not from those communities to begin with. Um, but I think we have to talk about the fact that this is imposed gentrification in many parts of the of the of the capital in inner city areas like Islington Hackney to It's imposed gentrification for social cleansing. Okay. Um, that's what it does to working working class communities. That's all I'm going to say on that.
0: Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Ro. Um, uh, right, Rita, we're going to, and I, I think I might um, I might know who the counsellor you're talking about, um, potentially, um, but we, who we actually invited to be on this panel, but we didn't hear back from. Um, okay, uh, Rita, I'm going to come to you first. And speakers, really, I'm just giving you a minute or two to pick up on something. Someone's noticed in the chat that not many of our audience members ask questions. I have no problem with that. I think it's just, it's you pick up on some of the things that you've heard, particularly Rita, we've just... Um, uh, heard Mo describe people who are pro-LTN as as you know out of touch and um, elitist uh, I wonder what you have to say about that but anything else anything else that you want to pick up on just for a few yes
1: minutes? Um, thanks Ella and I have to say that I was looking forward to contributions from the audience I understood that the debate would be not necessarily all questions to the panel but actually we would have a chance to really listen to what uh, what uh, what people were saying, you know, in the spirit of consultation, for want of a better word, actually you know you do want to actually listen and hear what people have to say but the but the few things that I do want to pick on up on are um, there was I think it was Daniel actually, so it wasn 't the audience was talking about not needing to manage streets and i I so disagree with that that actually that 's the first thing I want to uh, to remark on actually, because the management of streets, you know whether it is sweeping them or keeping the footways clear of clutter, or putting in measures, and I wrote this to you actually, Ella, that it was, you know, prior to living in a CPZ, um, I could hardly get across my street. Whereas when the when there was a controlled parking zone introduced, so this was prior to the LTN, um, just the fact of having yellow lines painted around the corner and areas that people couldn't park on meant that I as a pedestrian was able to wheel my Suitcase safely across the street. The streets absolutely need to be managed for the benefit not just of the car drivers, but actually for you know for the benefit of everyone. So managing streets—that was one thing I wanted to comment on. Um, there's there's been quite a lot said about whether they are safer or not um, by by different people, and I suggest perhaps to the gentleman in Ealing that he, you know, in our case in Hackney. Um, streets have felt ever so much safer since we focused on street lighting, so I think well-lit streets are actually absolutely key to making people feel safer. Um, the uh, So the, the other thing was this issue about whether it's exclusionary and whether it's rich or poor and actually although I don't usually quote the kind of research that there is out there because I don't really have a lot of time for it. Much of it is not very good. But there was a recent study that's been much promoted saying that actually LTNs don't distinguish between the rich and poor. And you could just summarise as saying there are lots of poor people in London. Some of them live outside the LTN and some of them live in the LTN. So actually, I think there is evidence that there's that they they aren't. They don't particularly privilege. Richer people, other than in the way that I have described, which is that actually they have caused more traffic to go down the main roads. Mm-hmm. And I think I've proposed some ways in which we might manage that, including a more sophisticated form of roads pricing, which I notice some people are talking about in the chat as well. Um, Just last point there.
0: Rita. Okay,
1: that's that's all right. I can I can stop there. I'm sure there'll be other opportunities. Great. Right. No, no, there about will that. be. So actual- not 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 gentrification not distinguishing between rich and poor and it's crucial to manage the streets I think.
0: Thank you no that's perfect Um, I'm going to come back to you guys we're going to keep going out and back out and back so don't worry there'll be um, ample opportunities thanks Rita. Okay uh, Rebecca I'm actually going to come to you next for just the same as Rita a few thoughts.
3: Um, Yeah so I was going back to safety and you know Rita's talking about lighting when You know, I've lived in an LTN for about seven months now and have been myself or my family have been a victim of crime more times than we have done in the last 15 years we've lived here. And it's always been in broad daylight, we've had our car smashed into, my son's been assaulted, tried to be robbed for his bike. Um, in broad daylight, we live in a ghost town. So these these neighborhoods are not made safer at all. And it has nothing to do with the lighting because I've spent the last, you know, God knows how many months locked down. I haven't been exactly wandering the streets at night. I've traveled to work and back. And um, it's, it's eerie enough in broad daylight than it is. And then another word about identification is, I can see it happening in front of my eyes, Uh, Islington is being gentrified. We've always been an affluent stroke working class borough and, um, you know, I just feel like these LTNs are influencing the more working class, making it more difficult for people to make a living um, while Cycle shops are popping up, whole food shop that we don't afford to, to work in. I've took a drive around Hackney, and you know, I'm going through council estate after council estate while the leafier streets are quiet. Um, and, and that stinks to me of gentrification, it isn't fair on the working class. Um, it's uh, I it's it's a suit one minority of um people that support the agenda.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Rebecca. Uh, Daniel, I'll come to you next and then I'll go back to the audience. So Emma and Niall, I, when I come back, I will come to you guys in the next round because I want to keep coming back to the audience. So, Daniel, your thoughts. All
2: right. First point is, um, I should have said this earlier. Um, I, I live, I'm very fortunate and I live round the corner. I don't live in it uh, for one of the two most expensive streets in London in terms of buying a house. And lo and behold, of course, I should have said at the beginning, uh, we're in an LTN. I mean, ours is 40 years old. It's the first LT, it was actually put in by the GLC. It's a very modest one. It's just two no entry signs on one side of it. And because of the way the streets were laid out, we don't get any through traffic or very little through traffic. And and it's interesting, just doesn't prove anything generally, but it's just an interesting point that it is one of the richest areas in London, but it's got an LTN. Does that tell you anything? Um, I'm not sure. And it's had it for 40 years. Second thing about managing streets, Rita, yeah. Of course, the streets need to be managed in the sense, of course, that they've got to be maintained and there are duties that the highways authority has got to keep them clear and things like that so that the pavements aren't cluttered up with all sorts of things. I appreciate all of that. I didn't mean that. I really wanted to make my point on this in relation to what Shirley said because Shirley went to my beloved Exhibition Road, of which I was responsible for Exhibition Road, and you came away fearful. And and the point is you think when you're on a pavement you think that you have acquired a level of safety which is illusory. Um, The streets are not particularly safe where you go. People get killed on the streets, even when they have pavements. It's it's an illusory sense of safety. The only real safety you get on the streets is by being alert to what others are doing. And, And that does involve an element of risk. To be alert, you need to be aware something could actually go wrong. So you use your eyes and you look where you're going and and you use your sense of what you're doing. And that I think is um, um, antithetical to the notion, this is what I was really trying to get at Rita, that you've got to have a lane for this, a lane for people, a lane for buses, a lane, a completely regimented, top-down Soviet allocation of space. And I see somebody in the chat has said, he's used the expression, we must have a reallocation of space from one type of user to another. There is no happiness in any of that because, of course, you always have to pick a favored, a, a favored winner who gets more space, other people are losers. A more shared space approach, like you see in Exhibition Road, is both more efficient in terms of the road and it actually helps bring about more safety. And the final point on safety is this. Of course, street lighting does matter at night and, and nobody would say we should have unlit streets and it can contribute to um, a sense of safety. But as, and I forget, I've forgotten your name, I'm sorry, but as you said in Islington, the real safety on streets comes from overlooking and a sense that there are shop fronts, there are people looking, and those cars going by are part of that overlooking. And you take the cars away, you take the vehicles away, it could be bicyclists as well, of course, it's not just cars, it's bicyclists and other people going past. But you take those people away, and what you get is barren streets in which you engender a sense of fearfulness. And you give opportunities to people to do mugging and assaults and things like that, that perhaps are a little bit greater, but it's not the reality so much as the fearfulness, which is not always based on reality, the sense of fear of going down places where nothing is happening and nobody can see you. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is important about safety.
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Daniel. Right, let's come back out to the audience uh, for some questions. So, uh, Victoria, I want to come to you first. What is your contribution?
11: Have you unmuted me? Can everybody hear me okay?
0: Yes, If you you b- might be better to speak a bit louder, you're a bit quiet. Okay, is
11: that better? Can everybody yeah. hear me? Okay, um, I guess my point, I've got lots of points, but the one I'm going to focus on is there seems to be le- very little focus applied to the Potential negative mental health impacts of LTNs. Um, I think that the backdrop of the global ban- pandemic cannot be um, obviously overstated. And um, I live in both LTNs, where the only ve- vehicular access for us is like via the sixth busiest road in the UK, which is the A406. And that has led, if I speak personally, to increased isolation. Um, we've had various individuals not willing to come and visit or deliver items. I run a business, and sometimes I have very large deliveries, and I can't get the delivery driver to come and collect those. So there's been a whole range of issues um, that have been exacerbated by the RTM, which has impacted on my well-being and the well-being of my family. And I just wondered, in all of the analytics surrounding RTM, there's very little focus on the mental well-being and a sense of individual impacts of such drastic changes at um, one of the most disturbing times in living memory.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Victoria. I mean, in particular, we've people have touched on the relationship of these moves to the pandemic. Um, but thank you for raising that again, because I think we could do with talking that a bit more, both in terms of the, the claims that it's been brought in covertly um, through, you know, explanations around social distancing, but also, you know implementing um, rules that would, as you're saying, increase isolation at a time and what we're already increasing incredibly isolated. What effect does that have? So thank you for that. Um, Rob Lyons next.
12: Uh, hello, hi. Hi, Rob. You, you caught me on the hop. <laughs> um, hello. <laughs> Yes, I, I just wanted to, say, because it's very metropolitan, this discussion, I have to say, um, I I've, I've spent 16 years living in London, and now I live in the polar opposite, which is a village Scottish borders. Um, but, but what strikes me about what the commonality here is that there is there's this real sense that travel doesn't, and particularly independent travel, i.e. cars and, and, and so on, it's really been downgraded in sort of the broader consciousness is that, you know, the idea that yeah we want to get places and we want to get there as quickly as possible um, has, has really been lost. And um, so all the villages now in the Scottish borders on the main roads, yeah, if you pass through somewhere, you have to travel at 20 miles an hour. In Edinburgh, which is the nearest big city, many of the main roads again are now 20 miles an hour, which is bonkers. I have no problem with side roads being 20 miles an hour. I don't want somebody tearing up and down you know my my street in front of the house but that sense that um you know that that getting somewhere fast you know it, it is it is an important thing and the the freedom that um uh, independent travel uh, gives you uh, is, is is more and more being dismissed by a certain influential minority of society and i think that um that if we we if if tra- transport means you know, getting places quickly and it, and we should have much freedom to choose how how that comes about and all this kind of top-down architecture for controlling how you know how freely we move I think is a really really pro- big problem and I think that for the good of society as a whole the productivity of society as a whole I think that we really need to have a push back against that.
0: Brilliant thanks very much Rob great even if it was on the hop. Uh, right Ian what? You up next, Ian.
13: Uh, can you hear me? Yes, hi. Uh, yeah, hi. So, um, you know, I was affected by this about five years ago when they, when they closed some in my area. And the more I think about it, the, the more that the entire scheme seems like a complete and utter load of nonsense. I mean, there's loads and loads of ways to reduce the number of traffic. And there's also loads and loads of reasons that you choose to cycle. You know, for example, in London, the fact that your bike gets stolen almost inevitably, if you leave it overnight, it was is a huge one. So what really worries me is that these things are basically being done to raise money, for, is to, so the council can raise money. I think there's a sense of wanting to be green, but really that's a, a guise for the much more important issue of raising as much money as they can. So my question... Would be. I've got kind of a three parts of the question. Is one, why should they be allowed to to kind of manufacture these reports, which of course are going to be completely in their favour? Like I think they're they're taking pollution readings inside the LTNs, you know, during lockdown. So of course they're going to prove that they're, you know they've reduced pollution numbers. I mean, how can we get the reporting on this to kind of be completely independent? Another point is. Why don't they, or question, why does no one value the, the main streets? You know, I live on Southgate Road in London. There's, you know, Church Street. These are like the most important streets we live on with all the best shops where everyone comes, mums, you know, young kids, everyone. Why does why does the council not value those streets as being some of the best places that should have less traffic on the mo- and if not more?
0: Okay.
13: Um. And what, what, what my final point is-
0: Oh, you're pushing it, make it brief.
13: If this is all about money, how can we kind of, you know, prove this and what can we do about it? That's it.
0: Okay, it was brief. So very good. Thank you very much, Ian. Uh, right, next we will go to Tom Swithenbank.
14: Hello, can you hear me? Yes, hi, Tom. Hi, I'm um, I'm in Bristol and we are uh, they're currently consulting on the strategy for Lake for Neighbourhoods. Um, yeah, it's really just Say, so I think you know. It seems like a mistake that London's pressed ahead in the emergency measures. Um But yeah, I think I think there's a lot of anti, you know, anti this and anti that. But maybe we need some more solutions. I don't know if anyone has other ideas to actually tackle the the, the crises that we face at the moment. I mean, there's been mention of fuel. For fuel duty freezing, I mean, yeah, just like to see some other ideas in the chat, you know, we've basically got to half driving, double walking and cycling, what ideas do people have for, for that, um, you know, it's all well and good saying this is rubbish, this is rubbish, but, you know, what what other ideas do people have, because this is, you know, this is happening.
0: Okay, brilliant, thanks, that's a great challenge, thanks very much, Tom. Um, well I mean in particular if you we this debate is about streets and LTNs and all that kind of thing but obviously there are other questions about you know cities don't have to be static cities don't have to the, London changes in particular every single day expands you know moves about and um, so it might that might some of the solutions lie not in in restricting but in expanding out things and opening up opportunities um okay I'm going to come to Joel I'm going to come to Joel Cohn then Josephine Hussey and then Alice Donald, and I'm going to come back to Emma and Niall on the panel and then we're going to come back out to the audience so bear with me everyone if you've got your hand up you will be speaking tonight I'm not going to leave anyone out so Joel
15: um the last speaker asked for a few ideas I suggest one of the bigger barriers to um getting more people cycling and walking is that only about fifty percent of the country owns a bike. That's probably a really good place to start. Um, I think, kind of listening to the breadth of this discuss- discussion, and it's a real credit to the Academy of Ideas for um, making this debate a, a, a bit more meaningful than than some of the other fair you get discussing this issue in really quite a polarized way. At the heart, it's about kind of competing senses of, of what public space should be for, um, which is an issue that I know the the Academy has been um, thinking about for a very long time. And I think it's a really rich vein of thought, because you know, both sides of the, the typical debate that you'd find out there, um, I think, express quite a lot of nimbyism. And that really makes me question whether um, nimbyism is in fact a bad thing, or is it the Starting point, the groundswell of a sense of kind of civic identity and belonging, um, because in order to you know own and uh, it, encourage communities to be empowered by their spaces, you have to allow quite a broad sweep of them. And my own bugbear within this discussion is that I think um, kind of currently the policy has been too focused on commuters at the expense of other users, which would definitely incru- include children and their use of the streets, um, so some of the kind of di- vulnerable groups that we started talking about either for, because they live with long-term health conditions and disabilities and I think walking and cycling actually can really do a, a great amount to help people manage those conditions mm-hmm. as well as the elderly who we know have really suffered in strength and I'm sure as soon as life begins again we'll see a lot more falls um, happening. And and in a way that walking and cycling, particularly walking more than cycling, can really help people. So, yeah, I think kind of in a nub is nimbyism, is NIMBYism bad? How can we expand the category to support everyone?
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Joel. Um, and thanks for the kind words about the Academy of Ideas. I mean, I can't I can't we haven't figured out the timetable yet, but I'd just like to say to everyone that we will be addressing parts of these issues at the battle of ideas festival which is going to be happening in the autumn of this year and um, we've got a, a a date that we are finalizing at the moment so please put in your diaries autumn with the battle of ideas festival and i want would love to see all 126 of you at that debate um, right we're going to have joe hussey next
16: hi um i grew up in london i was born and bred in london and um basically when i i lived in south um in clapham um and um i hardly felt the need to um use a car basically whenever i went out i usually got a bus or i went on the tube once i moved to north london because we didn't have um, tubes in south london um it It wasn't useful to me. Often I was going out with friends and might have a drink or whatever. I wanted good public transport. And that's mainly what I did. I used a car when it was important that I got somewhere, I picked someone up or something. And I do think that one of the problems is that the whole discussion and the whole imposition of these zones removes people's individual um, right to make a decision about how they're going to um, get somewhere. But what I also think is really interesting is I now live in a country, in a village in the country, and I have no choice. I have to use my car. I cannot get to work um, by public transport because it's rubbish. Um, even if I decide to go to London, I can get a train to London, but I still have to drive to the station to get the train to London. And one of the things that I wondered and I wanted to throw out there was, um, are we focusing on the cities um, um, and saying that the cities are really a problem when actually they're not really a problem. I mean, a lot of people have said that a lot of the policies have made cars appear a big, uh, more of a problem now in, in London than they really are and that pollution is considered to be a prob- bigger problem than it really is. I mean, I grew up in a vibrant city that was um, surrounded by transport. Um, and as people have said, it was because it was a vibrant city that it had lots of transport. Um, But, you know, by by focusing on the city and saying the city is the problem, really, are we starting to spread this idea of cars being a problem across the country? Um, um,
0: So I just wanted to throw that in, really. Brilliant. Thanks, Jo. OK, we'll take Alistair Donald and then we're going to come back to Emma and Niall for comments. So, Alistair
17: uh thanks uh ella um i really enjoyed daniel's explanation of the ownership of streets at the start and 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 the sense of uh understanding what is in public ownership and what's not um and i think in in some ways the 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 whole idea of the public is is the key to this discussion actually because not not the public in the sense of the te- of of who technically owns something but the public in the sense of what it is in a social sense and i think one of the problems just now is that uh, there's a very fragmentary sense of the public. So, you know, those who might want cars to keep to keep the cars in the street not, might not want uh, a nightclub in the same street or in the area. Those who want to keep the streets clear of cars might not be keen on kids from a neighbouring, uh, uh, you know, a, 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 another neighbourhood uh, coming to be. Part of the activity of that street. There's this is kind of the public lacks any sense of cohesion. Not not in the sense that everybody should agree with each other, but just in the sense that cities, by their very nature to work, have to be a bit about uh, giving and taking of recognizing other people's interests and accommodating to them. And I, th- I think one of the problems today is that we we seem to address public life in a way that uh, we're always out to get what we personally want and and what our grouping wants and dismissive of the claims of other people you see all the time just now for example in the in the debates around free speech and around protests where everybody's trying to protect their own group's right to protest but is rather dismissive of the rights of other groups to protest so I think understanding the public and understanding the public in a kind of political sense of we're all in it and we have to accommodate to different needs is quite important just now. And so that when it comes to the, the question of consultation, which a number of people have posed as a, solu- as a solution, I think, well, fine, have, have consultation. But it just strikes me that people are asking what is a rather technical process of consulting with other people to do the work of which is a social sorting out socially what it is that we understand ourselves to be as a public.
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Alistair. Uh, Okay, Emma and Niall, I'm going to come to you for comments. And then, as you may have noticed, we've got 10 people with their hands up and we are running out of time. Uh, I'm okay to run over a little bit, but I don't want to hold the speakers for too long, so let's all be pretty snappy. Um, But Emma, any thoughts you want to pick up on from anything you've heard of the last sort of half an hour?
4: Yeah, just to say it's absolutely fascinating. Um, A couple of things I want to say is, firstly, this idea that things have been done quickly. Um, one of the um, headlines in the Manchester Evening News tonight is about an LTN that has been put in somewhere to use up budget quickly. <laughs> and so exactly some of the things that have been spoken about, about how um, that community are okay, but the streets, the surrounding streets are now just packed full of full of the traffic that would normally go down there. So this goes back again to what I was talking about earlier about that consultation. And the gentleman that's just been speaking is right, it's got to be different. It's got to be co-creation. We've got to think about things um, differently. And I think the other point I wanted to talk about was cl- the climate and environmental, which has come up on the chat a little bit. A lot of the stock that people are thinking about is social housing. And that's what I'm, I'm, I've i been working in for 25 years. And every housing association at the moment is having to look at decarbonisation. And they're also having to respond to the white paper that's come out about resident engagement so i think that's where some of the solution to this will lie and i think it's about we have to embrace and look at all aspects of how we're going to solve this problem and i think that you know there's, there's obviously very different experiences that are happening in parts of london that are happening in other parts of parts of the country but we need to learn from where where it's not happening right and make sure that that's communicated so that we can we can get things that are more meaningful
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Emma. Um, Niall, come to you for a few thoughts.
5: Thanks. Great discussion. Um, I don't think cars are a problem. I don't think uh, carbon uh, is a problem. Um, I think it's a great thing car usage has been going down since the year 2000 but i think it's a it's a fantastic thing that in my lifetime um ordinary working class people can afford decent cars you know i never thought in my lifetime i'd be able to you know drive around in a in a mercedes although i I can't afford a mercedes but you know you do see people the 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 buildings maintenance people at work uh drive around in mercedes because they've got um you know because they 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 they've got access via you know via by a credit interestingly all of the teachers and uh you know go around on Bromptons and everything so there seems to have been a, a middle class falling out of love with the cars and um I don't think the work generally working class people have uh of course on yet so they're being forced and I, I really reject that you know right um um we did a survey with a group and we asked about 700 people uh hackney um who uh what they use their cars for horrendous hackney road closures are started by women young working-class women never involved in politics and so was the islington group i believe uh it's mainly women that it's affecting uh women of all ages um i can see out of my window that uh, the people who drive cars run by me on the councilor's those over the road are mainly young families so it's really affecting them and you I, I'm not sure I even accept the idea of low-traffic neighbourhoods because what I can see with the estates over the road is people just being closed in. You know, they, it's being made as difficult as possible for people to get around. Call it a low-traffic neighbourhood. Call, call it what you want, but you know, I I, I think that it's an attack on uh, you know working-class living standards in that sense. Um, and Joel, just responding to Joel, um, surely it's up to people whether they cycle or walk it's no business of the council you know d- the people have different needs and and it's up for them to decide really not for the council
0: Okay, brilliant, thanks very much Niall. Right, speakers, I'm now gonna go through the 10 people who have had their hands up, who are all gonna promise me to be brief. Um, and then I'm gonna come back to you guys for your final thoughts, picking up on anything. So if you just hold tight for a bit, if that's all right, we are going to run a bit over half past, but I think um, it's worth it because I'm really enjoying this debate. People who have your hands up, if you've had your hand up or uh, beforehand, I'm afraid you're engaging in wishful thinking um, because we're gonna take people who haven't spoken first. So Mark Dunn, Let's come to you and hear what you have to say.
18: Hi, hi, thank you everybody for this discussion. Just to say, uh, I came to this quite late, really. I was completely oblivious to LTNs being put up around me in, in the East End of London. And I suppose it occurred to me something was going on when traffic started to increase on my road. And then I done a bit of digging and found out why. My opposition to it, and I'm quite firmly opposed to it really is that it feels tokenistic and divisive, and and actually, traffic is a burden for all Londoners, and and it should be shared. I can't see really how any solution that creates more noise and pollution inequality can be acceptable. Okay. And I'll I'll leave it there because I had more to say, but you've got 10 others to get through
0: lovely no that's the spirit of it thanks very much mark um okay we're going to matthew next matthew Pinchars.
19: um hi uh thank you very much um it's i am uh, very much in favor of ltns and i've been very involved in my own ltn group in lambeth in, in brixton in london um it's however it's done me a lot of good to be on this to listen in on this debate see my old colleague daniel moylan and Lots of people who are opposed to LTNs because there's always a, a danger of a filter bubble, and you only ever listen to people who, who agree with you. Um, but I, th- I think there's a, there's a few, actually quite a few misconceptions that a lot of the antis here opposed to this have. Um, clearly, there's been a mistake about not consulting the local uh, you know, residents properly. And that's something that we did in our group, and that we really warned people that this was coming. And there's been less, I suppose, animus against it than perhaps in other areas. But I think it is worth noting that we have an election in two months in London uh, for the mayor. And then we have an election in a year and two months for the boroughs. So we can vote all these guys out. If you really don't like it, you can vote them out. Uh, And they are all going to be due to statutory consultations. These aren't going to happen. They are all experiments in order to become permanent. They do need to be consulted upon. Yes, perhaps it shouldn't have been done in the way that it was. I think that's a fair point, especially during the dislocation of the pandemic. But that's not to say that um, they're not going to be consulted on um, in due course. Um, I think it's worth noting the fact that the polling data suggests that people are largely in favor of it. Um, And a lot of the other data that people have stated, such as traffic is definitely displaced. But in fact, the LTA at Lambeth has released um, data around the near near me. And in fact, traffic reduced on the boundary roads, as well as within the LTN, and they did, and the consultants, and I actually read through the report, does manage to baseline it properly, mindful of the impacts of the, um, of the pandemic. So they managed to get a sort of a factor there to, to make sure the data worked, that it wasn't just comparing apples with pears rather than apples with apples. Um, and Last I think point. Uh, yeah, so politicians really need to think about the balance of pros and cons. There really clearly are disbenefits in this. Of course there are. But in my view, there are more benefits. And the last one I want to make, if you're mindful, I think back to what very much what Tom said about being against everything, against change, that in order to meet anything like the carbon um, targets that nearly everybody agrees on, and certainly there's political consensus, if not necessarily within this group. I, I know the, the gentleman from, from I think the pub in Hackney doesn't seem to believe there's climate change. Um, but there needs to be a balance of the pros and cons, and balance what is best, and some of them will be more negative than positive and will have to be removed, but most of them, I believe, will stay in place. Uh, we need to do these nudges. If this is the reaction that we get for just a few planters, i heaven help us what sort of reaction is going to be when other changes need to be made, mm-hmm. if we're going to meet net zero that has been um, legislated for. And it's important to note that a vocal minority, no matter how vocal, has no right to veto. Um, a policy that in the majority popular which appears to be the case in the polling and the elections coming up will prove or disprove that.
0: Brilliant thank you very much Matthew that was really helpful to put that side of the argument so thank you. Um, Austin Williams will come to you next.
20: Uh, Thanks. Well, I mean, that last guy said a lot in a short space of time when he mentioned the word nudge. It's very clear that the idea that you do a consultation is in order that you get the right result and work out how best to implement a policy that you're going to otherwise enforce on people. So in some ways it's fake uh, consultation, uh, just kind of glossing over the cracks in some ways. And also modeling is not the same as data, I would advise. But I just think that the idea about, you know, what is the problem? Why are cars a problem? Since for 100 years, they've been seen as a boon. Um, and if anybody remembers the last Labour government um, has always brought in a transport policy, started the transport policy of conflictual relationships between we need to invest in public transport in order to get people out of the cars. So it's always been that sense of uh, car, car drivers as being the problem. But actually, in terms of statistics, the growth in traffic, Niall started to mention it, uh, from 1950 up to 1990 that's when the growth of traffic happened and then since then the growth of cars has declined oh, the, 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 the number of car journeys has declined. Um, that 50% of, of all journeys are by car, 37% today are by car as opposed to 50% in 1990. And that's even predicted to be 27% by the mid-century. And that's without a pandemic, which is destroying the car industry as well as the commercial sector. And we've got this very bizarre situation where there's a perception of cars being a problem. Um, We've kind of invented this problem. uh, And in some ways that's how we're gonna have to deal with it. How much road space has been lost in London to increase that perception of cars being uh, a problem is uh, is worth uh, an inquiry. I think that you know, even just looking at this idea about noise, it's kind of such a middle-class concern, is it? The noise in London, my God, uh, I'm now living in the countryside and uh, I long for a bit of noise. But the I, but even, even there's a question asked in House of Parliament today saying that why we shouldn't have protesters is because of noise. This kind of paranoia. There's even low noise surfaces on roads now today. So everything's improving, but the perception is that it's all getting worse. And I think that that's an inverse relation to reality. And I think we just need to get a little bit of grounding in what really is going on before we kind of have this uh, conversation, which insists that cars are a problem. How best are we going to implement getting rid of them? That's not,
21: that's not an equation.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Austin. Okay. Roland Hughes next.
21: Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's a great debate. Great to be here. Um, right. I, I just want to say, really, I can only I'm living in the Bose LTN in Enfield. Um, literally, we had no warning of this pandemic started and it came through the door. At best, this is reckless to do at this time. At worst, it's cruel. It's caused a massive problem for emergency services. People have been very disorientated during this last year as we've all lived through this pandemic. Uh, and uh, really, it's, it's, it's just it's It's the tail wagging the dog it was It was a handful of people pushing for this, and um, what I'm most distressed about is there are no clear KPI's key performance indicators as to whether how they're going to show this scheme as a success or failure. And uh, all of the talk is about amendments only. They don't like to to mention that we can have it taken out. They're not interested in us having a say on that. And there's there's been a lot of fudging of the figures and manipulation of that. We've seen traffic counters on newly created dead end roads. No proper counters on displaced traffic roads. And, uh, you know, and we've seen hard landscaping done on what's meant to be a trial temporary scheme you don't do hard landscaping when there are plans to take it out it's a fait accompli for some people in the council um, the next thing i want to say was um
0: very briefly you know, I'd,
21: I'd be very quick i'm a cyclist and a driver and i really worry that um you know th- th- these things need to be done in open transparent ways and to to actually Not consult first. They've used the pandemic as an opportunity to force something upon people and call it a live trial. And I really worry that this is actually setting back the green agenda. You have to take people with you. People are very open to change, but you have to take people with you. Finally, I just want to say yes, I agree. Car use is coming down. We're seeing that. A lot of young people aren't driving these days. And we are seeing Um, You know, we have Euro 6 coming in this year in London, the extension of the LEZ zone, and so, there, you know, exhausts are getting cleaner, there's transport revolution, we'll have the self-drive soon, but, you know, there's the euphemism of language as well, calling roads filtered when they're actually closed to traffic, you know, there's a lot of manipulation of data, and we've asked for an open, transparent referendum of whether we want it to stay or go, and the council is not interested. So this claiming that silent majority is, is very disingenuous. Thank you.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Roland, for that. Uh, right, we'll come to Dennis Russell next. Just to manage everyone's expectations, I'm not going to be able to take people who have already spoken, I'm afraid, because we're running out of time. So I'm going to take Dennis, then Anna, then Neil, then Breege, and then we're back to the panel. So, Dennis, the floor is yours.
22: Well, I'm a van driver in London, You know, one of the despicable uh, deplorables, um, uh, and I pay, what is it, 380 odd pounds a year road tax? Uh, bicycle people who ride bicycles pay none, uh, and uh, I'm barred from practically three quarters of the roads in my Islington borough in the area where I live. It used to take me 10 minutes to get to work, now it takes me nearly three quarters of an hour. So I'm sitting in my van pumping out fumes for an extra sort of 30, 35 minutes every day. So are all the buses who go the same routes as me. I can't see how the LTNs are of any value, but. Uh, in terms of the the, the the pollution side of things. But, um, you know, there are, what, uh, in terms of councillors, uh, people elected to the councils, 8,500 people elected every so often to sit on the councils across this country. And there is now a layer of people who I would argue are, you know, politically and culturally sort of all, uh, uh, you know, from the same type of background who are imposing on us a whole set of ideas that they have about, you know, the environment, about climate change and about how to deal with it. Uh, and they're doing so with very limited turnout in terms of legitimacy. It ranges from between, in the lowest boroughs, 20% of the local people vote for them to the highest Richmond-upon-Thames where something like 54, 55% of people vote for them. But the average is around 33%. So these people have no legitimacy in terms of electoral returns. They, they are free from any democratic control on them because people really hate them and have been turned off voting for them down through the years, not just in relation to LTNs, but in relation to a whole host of issues, housing, other, other problems, bin collections, you name it. But, so, so these people are free from any kind of control and they're imposing their own values on everybody else and making life quite miserable for people. I know, you know, it would be nice to live in a pollution free climate, but a city is never going to be pollution free, never, uh, under any circumstances, uh, for the next conceivable, you know, two or 300 years. So you know, they are making most of us, most at least of the working people who have to travel through London to work every day, they're making life really, really miserable for us.
0: Okay, brilliant. Thank you very much, Dennis. Um, Okay, Anna's iPhone will come to you next.
23: Hi there, yeah, obviously I'm not, and I'm Francisco, sorry. So I, I, I must say that I'm, I'm a driver, but uh, I'm one of those drivers who don't mind to give way to pedestrians when they are crossing the road. So maybe that's that's why I have no major problems with um, LTNs, because I think that I, I understand the, the need to share the, the space, which is limited in a in the urban environment uh, specifically like, like like in london so this the the space the physical space needs needs to be to be shared and when we start to suggest to people who who have owned the space for so many years that eventually they will need to start to share it with either type of with other type of uh, of users either pedestrians cyclists that's when the problem started um, is the, 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 the arrogance of uh, drivers in, in insisting that specific eight meters between curb to curb is just for cars? It is not for cars, it's for pedestrians, it's for cyclists, it's for any other person who does not choose to, to drive a car on that one. Just another thing I, I, I think I would like to raise is the um, so local councils uh, historically. They react to problems. So they they have a reactive approach. Eventually, on some of the the LTNs, they use the more proactive approach. So they are trying to be a little bit ahead of the curve. So the the problem with traffic, with traffic volumes, with excessive traffic volumes is here, is not going away, and it's going to, to get worse. So... What some some of the, the the council I believe are doing is trying to to react to a problem that might not be here yet, but if nothing is done, it will be worse in a, in a couple of years. So, and that's eventually why people are so upset with these measures because they they are historically they are prepared to see the council just to react and not to 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 be proactive. And just last Very one, Okay, very last one. So another another thing I would like to raise. Um, with, with the, the driving uh, software that we now have, so with Google Maps, with Maze, with all of these GPS, so what they do is as soon as there's some congestion on main roads, roads they divert any traffic to these residential roads. So back a couple of years ago, we would have just locals using the the local roads because they they have the local knowledge mm-hmm. nowadays we have everyone driving with a a, a phone a telephone in front of uh, of the of there and they are using google maps and all of that to use the, to be diverted to the residential streets so a couple of years ago we had 100 200 a couple of hundred uh, vehicles in residential roads nowadays i think we have thousands so that's why measures like the ltns need to be need to be brought Okay, thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Francisco. That was great. Um, Okay, Neil Christie, let's come to you next.
21: Thanks. Hi, everyone. Uh, I've got a question mainly for Rebecca and Niall because I'm calling from Islington. Uh, We've just seen uh, early results from the St. Peter's LTN in Islington, which have shown significant reductions in traffic within the LTNs, no overall increase in traffic or pollution on the main roads. No um, negative impact on emergency response vehicle times, no impact, negative impact on crime or antisocial behavior and an increase in cycling. Now, I know um, I know people will attack this evidence, but rather than attacking the evidence, even though it's been independently peer reviewed, rather than attacking it, let's just say for a moment that these results are accurate. On that basis, would encouraging results like these lead you to consider any aspects of your opposition to LTNs?
0: Great, thanks very much, Neil, that was great. Uh, right, we'll end with Breej. Hi,
24: um, I, most people in one way or another have talked about the lack of engagement in regard to LTNs. And I, that's obviously very true. And some people have suggested that they've been sneaked in during the COVID lockdown, et cetera. But in reality, I think the councils have gotten very used to the fact that they don't expect to have engagement or feedback from people um, because we have, we have absented ourselves from political engagement and they have gotten used to making decisions and imposing um, decisions on us and the LTNs is an example of that. The NHS has been doing this for years and I used to work in, in that area. So I guess tokenism is what they're used to and token, tokenistic engagement had become very normal. It's like, you know, you rent a, a gob and they will supposedly represent you. But we have to think about how do we get back and engage as political, as, as engaged in decision making, if that's what is needed in order to inform decision making.
0: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Breeze. Um, Right, I'm going to come back to the panel now. I mean, it's been really fascinating to hear some of the points raised. I'm one of those people who's... can come at it from both sides. I, in terms of cycling and driving and walking, when I cycle to work across Tower Bridge, I'm one of those cyclists that is cursing people from driving too close to me. And also probably I'm being cursed by others for uh, occasionally, you know, going too fast over lights or maneuvering out of the way. Similarly, when I'm in the van, which I refuse to go on public transport to get my shot from Aldi and Leighton because anyone knows the Aldi and Leighton, I'd rather pluck my eyeballs out than get transport public transport transport back with my shopping bags but I don't do it just out of necessity I also do it because I still love driving in my white van and making people in hackney double take seeing a woman in lipstick in a white van so it's one of these things where I think people have can come at it from different anecdotal positions but a real the question I want to kind of leave the panel with although pick up on anything you like is not what is the solution to this in terms of I'm not asking you to come up with a kind of green or non-green five-point plan but it, is, to answer the central question of this debate, who is it that is really making these decisions? I mean, that final point by Breeze about whether or not public, there is a wider problem with public engagement at large. I mean, it would sort of having miniature local referendums on LTNs fix the problem. You know, is more voting going to fix the problem, or is there something deeper in actually the relationship between the toss up of climate change on the one hand and Uh, and city living on the other if you want to make it that kind of dichotomy or you know how how do we overcome the central question of who owns the streets not just from the kind of legal or pragmatic basis but also the more political idea of who is it that makes politi- you know the decisions that shape our lives and shape our surroundings um so i'm going to go in the order that we started with and really just a minute or two guys because i haven't left you long very long a minute or two to leave us with something either pick up on anything or leave, or leave us with a punchy point uh, no pressure so Rita, i'll begin with you hang on there you are Yes, you're, you're a little bit quiet, but... Um,
1: okay, is that better? If yeah, if that. you just give,
0: shout for us, returning.
1: Okay, I mean, I'm actually, um, you've left us with a kind of huge philosophical question, um, and I suppose partly it depends on whether or not you believe in representative democracy, is what I would say. Um, and a few people have been talking about, uh, you know, voting and elections coming up and that sort of thing. I think you mentioned it too, but, what I, but just to pick up, I did want, I mean, you know, it's, it's patently obvious that there's a lot of anger around about these things. Um, and I guess, you know, it's good to have had the opportunity to sort of vent in a sense for people as well to sort of air their views. But um, I, I did want to pick up on the reference that Niall made to a parklet and actually the quality of community cohesion that has resulted from the fact of having been privileged, and I say privileged, so I applied and hold the license to have a park on my street, and what a benefit it has been to the street in lockdown for people to be able to coalesce and provide a center for everyone, and not just the people on the street, but neighbours from far and wide who come and actually have that little bit of outdoor space. And who decided that curbsides should be left entirely to these empty metal boxes, and they are empty and motionless a lot of the time. Um, rather than, for example, parklets. I just think that's completely nuts, you know, and I think it's not fair. I did, I did say it's not fair. I wanted to say that people in vans are key users of the main roads and they are not the sort of people who, would, you know, exactly, it's, it's, those are the people who should be using the main roads. It's the private cars and the multiplicity of private cars for which I really don't think there is, it's not fair to have the number that we have in London, however libertarian you might want to be.
0: Brilliant! Thank you very much, Rita, for that. Uh, We'll now move over to Daniel for your final thoughts. Uh,
2: Thanks. I just think it's interesting that the word "private" is used as a as a bad word. Uh, You know, you put "private" in front of something and immediately becomes a bad thing. Um, I I just want to make a couple of points. I had some answers. I had some provocative questions in the chat. I'm not going to be able to respond to if I'm only limited to a minute. But I'd say, first of all, although the mayor set off um, justifying this on the grounds that London would be brought to a standstill if after the pandemic we had a car-led recovery. Uh, There is actually no sign and that that there is likely to be gridlock as a result of a car-led recovery. Um, And and this isn't really about congestion. The drive to reduce cars is, is a drive partly masking as carbon but it will carry on even if all the cars become electric, there will still be a drive against them because that word private is attached to them and private in certain minds actually equates to bad. The second thing I want to say is I haven't said anything I think today that suggests that all low traffic neighborhoods are bad, but I do think that to make them work, they have to come out of the community themselves. So the answer to this is not local referendums. This is not a majoritarian thing. This is about people in a community coming together as a community and wanting to see their area uh, made, uh, reduced in the the amount of through through traffic. Um, And then this is the really important thing. And then negotiating with their neighbours who will not actually benefit from it. Because the people who make these demands are the most articulate people and they tend to be better off. So they need to be required to negotiate with their neighbours to get a consensus. It, it is, should not be coming from councils. It should be coming to councils from communities. That way it will work. And that way people will value their low, low traffic neighbourhoods. The disbenefits and externalities will be limited and, and, and they won't be controversial.
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Daniel. That was great. Okay, let's move to Emma, Emma Richmond for your final thoughts.
4: So I've just got two sentences. Um, Zero carbon decarbonisation is coming. So we all need to be ready for that. But the big thing that someone said, which I think sums up quite a lot is you need to take people with you
0: brilliant okay great thanks very much emma um right we'll now go to uh rebecca where are you rebecca rebecca your thoughts please
3: um so neil christie had a question for me i couldn't quite sorry i couldn't quite remember the exact question but he was back to the the data that's been released by the council in the st peter's trial the first ltn and i feel like this the, the data of this is skewed, as he said, that there was no increase in traffic when there is a 32% increase in traffic on a neighbouring road, New North Road. Um, I would have to attack the surveys that they use because evidence shows that surveys and consultations are leading and not reflective, and I dare say fixed it was true, they would have consulted legitimately and fairly, not dodging equality impact assessments and failing to consult with emergency services. I have a FOI with the London Ambulance Service that said they couldn't support a scheme that blocked the roads, yet we still have bollards closing the roads. So if you call that a consultation, I don't know what it is. Um, some studies and commentators on the pro side have been exposed and making things up and making them look genuine like that line in emergency services aren't impacted, which was presented by a math pro-LTN in the Guardian, Rachel Oldridge, only to be rubbish by emergency services. We shouldn't be relying on council elections to determine when we stop wasting public money. Um, Democracy isn't one vote every four years. It's normal people being involved in community decisions and not to wait every four years to have their say. Um, We all want a cleaner, better environment for our children to grow up. Um, I have in cleaner Bruna, uh cleaner greener borough rammed down my throat by the council. But if London Borough of was was serious about becoming a greener borough, then they need to target big business. My workplace uh, doesn't even have a recycling school facilities. And it's recently been um it's recently been exposed by dispatches that they were it's taking our recycling to incinerating branches. Uh, so this doesn't strike me as being a cleaner brother. Uh, I feel like you're targeting targeting the motorists in a mabbing campaign. Really, um, the data and statistics is not reflective because we haven't yet felt the true effects of the closing these roads as we've been in lockdown the whole time. Um, yeah. I could go on and on and on I've got stuff about the, the bin collections um, someone else said I think it was Dennis said about the bin collections and I know the council have made exemptions now for their fleet of vehicles because they're providing uh, essential services but to everyone I think that uses a vehicle for that all their journeys are essential for work not just the council ones mm-hmm. and um, totally we support Roland um suggestion that we need referendums, you know, for clear, concise, yes or no thing you know not by companies like sustrans or projects Star or any any consult need to do these skewed consultations, just a referendum to know what people listen and think.
0: Okay, great, thanks very much, Rebecca. and now last but not least, Niall Crowley.
5: I'll try and be quick. Brilliant debate, everybody. Thank you, thank you very, very much. Um, just in response to Rita on Parklets, um, I um, had a letter this week um, from a parish priest in in, uh, in Hackney. I had to resaw the thing about my uh, launch, my election campaign, um, and he wrote to me, and uh, he said to me, "I'm the parish priest of I won't name where he was." Um, and uh, had exactly the exactly same situation you described. There's a planning place led by Hackney Living Streets and supported by the mayor and the council for a parklet across two, three parking spaces in um Street uh, across the road from my church. My principal objection is that there has been absolutely no consultation whatsoever, and this has been billed as a grassroots project. He goes on to talk about how he's written and been ignored. Uh, I'm fast growing tired of the wealthy few in Hackney making decisions in ignorant benevolence on behalf of the people of Hoxton um so that was that was that um i just wanted to echo what uh dennis said um the, the my central point is that uh the 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 way these have been done have really revealed uh a kind of democratic void which is my major concern i didn't get involved in this because i was a because i because i was a, a driver but because i i my heart went out to my fellow citizens seeing what the cancer was doing to the, to them. Um, I looked at, um, the mayor said something to me last week about this has all been consulted as we've talked about it, is this in the past. Um, so I looked at the consultancy report um, for their 10 year plan, and literally only a handful of people I talked to, you know, 40 or 50 people answering um, the, the consultation report, there really is no legitimacy for any of this stuff. So, you know, we've got a big task ahead of us. And, um, you know, but I think there is a, a democratic void that we need to, to address. So uh, I think it's down to us, but thank you very much.
0: Brilliant, thank you very much uh, to all the speakers and to everyone who's contributed to tonight's debate. It was really, really wonderful. Um, I'm not very good at doing this mute on mute, but if you could all just join me in giving a clap to our speakers. Thank you very much. But really it, it just, yeah opening up so many questions. I mean, we could, we, we could go on endlessly about this in very interesting tangents because it, oh, the whole question of who owns our streets opens up wider discussions about we've touched on climate change we've touched on democracy we've touched on class you know that's it, it really encompasses so many different parts um of politics this this seemingly small thing you know a street whether or not you can park on a street whether you can drive blows open so much political discussion so thank you to the speakers and to you in the audience for having a really great discussion um I want to just alert you while I have you to a few things coming up with the Academy of Ideas. I've already mentioned Letters on Liberty and Austin Williams, who uh, spoke in the uh, audience contribution, is writing, has written, is about to be published a pamphlet on on development and on green issues so you should read that and Alistair Donald who also spoke from the floor has just written something on Scotland um, and Scottish independence and the question of Scotland and politics coming up so these those will be out in a number of weeks but also relating to Scotland one of our upcoming events uh, a free event which you might like to all attend um, is our next Academy of Ideas salon Scotland salon which is called what next for Scottish independence and that's on Tuesday the 23rd of March from seven till nine and we've got what you know to discuss what the salmon affair in particular means for prospects of independence um, with michelle ballantyne msp alistair donald speaking ian mcwhirter and jim Sillers. and those all of our events at the academy of ideas are free to attend um, but they're not free to run so if you can and you feel able to donate to us um, or join as an academy of ideas associate please follow the link that's going to be put in the chat academyofideas.org.uk forward slash support it really means a lot to us Um, this debate will go up online on our youtube so please if you enjoyed it share it around with your friends put it up on twitter um we you know, we'd like to have more of these discussions and we will be having more of these discussions. And I will plug the battle one last time because I'm obsessed with the fact that we've now got a date roughly in the diary. So it's happening in autumn. Uh, Don't go anywhere on any luxurious holidays in and around the end of September, beginning of October, because I want you to be in Westminster with us debating. Um, So that's all from me. Thank you very much. Um, Thank you to our speakers again. Uh, Have a great evening. And what I'm going to do now is uh, the sort of rather raucous thing of unmuting everyone who wants to be unmuted and i'll leave this space open for 10 minutes for free-flowing discussion uh for for a few minutes so thank you all good night and i'm gonna allow you all to unmute yourselves now so feel free to chat